0: I've mentioned this before, Um, having lived in in Ukraine, it's kind of interesting, their their religious traditions, um, that on this day of the year is a unique day, I don't know if the Orthodox Easter is is today or not, I know it typically varies from from Catholic Easter, which we're celebrating today, Um, but uh, on this day of the year, uh, they will greet each other, instead of saying hi, uh, they will greet each other, by saying Jesus rose, Jesus was prayer right? And that's hello on only one day of the year. And there's an answer. Hello in reply is indeed he arose, uh, so or indeed he is risen. And it's kind of interesting, and and and, and you'll have uh, you'll go somewhere, and, and, and an atheist will say Jesus rose. That that is, is is a bizarre thing. Uh, uh, it's just an ingrained part of our culture. It's kind of an amazing thing, uh, the effect that Christ has had on society. Uh, the study of holidays is kind of funny. Um, and a lot of holidays have misappropriated traditions and, and have borrowed things. Uh, I noticed we had eggs painted downstairs. Those are Ukrainian also, by the way. You didn't know that. Uh, that actually comes from, uh, from uh, even before Christianity was there and uh, all these different interesting things, um, and so people who are killjoys like me like to point these out to people. Um, like uh, so, uh, like on St. Patrick's Day, I say, you know, um, Patty wasn't Irish; he was Italian. You no, know? we <laughs> so, were all Irish. No, not Patty wasn't. He was uh, he was Italian. Sorry about that. Um, the most dangerous dessert it, we sing at Christmas time. We sing uh, uh that's not in here. No, anyway. Uh, we sing, Bring Us the Figgy Pudding. I was looking for pictures. You know what Figgy Pudding is? Anybody know what Figgy Pudding is? Figgy Pudding is this cake soaked in brandy. I was like, wow, we, wonderful little kids singing, Bring Us Brandy Soaked Cake. That's not enough. They soaked it overnight in brandy. Uh, highly alcoholic. Then before they before they serve it, they pour more on top of it just to make sure. And light it on fire. Oh, bring us some figgy pudding. That would be great. My kids would be in the hospital. We've been looking at this precisely. Last week, we looked at a title as we, we've been talking about leading up to the Passover. Because it's Passover. Easter, whatever you want to call it, all centered around the Jewish Passover. Um, So this week, and if you remember, we, we kind of combined two days in one as we were talking about kind of the Passover and the Day of Atonement. A lot of those symbols are joined together. And because the world is talking about Easter, the world is talking about Passover, we want to just kind of filter out the thoughts, and as we're looking at the titles of Christ, we're going through this whole year talking about the titles of Christ and how each of these words and names and descriptions allows us a unique relationship. We turn to First Corinthians five seven. He says, "Cleanse out, out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump." But I'm a lump. Uh, some people identify with that. That's not what he was talking about. As you are really unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. And this is kind of interesting. Now, some of you have uh, a versions of the Bible that help you understand what he's saying. But here, he just simply says our Passover has been sacrificed. We think of Passover as a holiday, and it was... But the Passover was more than a holiday. The Passover here refers to the sacrifice. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're talking, we want to know about the Passover. Let's know a little bit more about the Passover because we know it as a holiday. All right. That's what we think of it as. Uh, and, um, but there's more to it than that. So we're going to kind of be using some, some references today from the Passover, talking uh, uh, about the Exodus is where this all relates back to. So we're going to, some of the verses we're going to go through come from this one chapter. But let's talk about a little bit about the holiday. Um, so let's, we look at Exodus chapter 12, and we don't, we're not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, in this manner, he says, You shall eat it, talking about the Passover. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Standing. And you shall eat it quickly! It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Remember, we went through the story of the Exodus, and we talked about how, how God really uh, insulted each of their pagan gods, each of their Egyptian gods. As as uh, in the Exodus, He went through and He's He's like, "Oh yeah, you believe in this god? Watch this. Uh, here, here, have some frogs. Here, have, have some of these. And you worship all these? Do you really want to worship them? Let me show you." But this this is an interesting section. Then we we talk about the holidays, and we, we when we have. Meals. We like to, to have nice meals together, and we take a long, leisurely time, and, and um and and it's it's a fun time to to get together. And, and many of you are going to to eat ham in honor of the the greatest Jew that ever lived today. <laughs> and, and and um, but but here he looks. At, who would who would set up a feast like this? Throw the manners up. No manners. It doesn't make a difference which way you arrange the forks and whether you folded the napkins correctly. He so said, stand up and eat quickly. Don't worry about closing your mouth when you chew. Just, just let's get this thing over with. Right? Let's hurry up. Eat it quickly. Manners not a part, at least of this first Passover. This is the most stressful holiday meal ever. I know some of you guys, I have family. Those, those holidays are stressful. You ever have those? <laughs> oh no, we got this uncle or this aunt. Or this oh, It's really stressful. This is the most stressful holiday ever celebrated because there was potential death. Right? There's potential death. Be ready to run at any moment. Because It's midnight. We're getting out. Not a lot of quiet reflection during the first Passover. We like to have quiet reflection, right? When we're when we're having communion and, and it's a somber moment. Not a lot of somber moments to reflect on what's gonna happen. Eat it quickly. Stand up. Get all your clothes on. Right? take extra clothes, get extra coats and get all and then Looking like a Ukrainian kid dressed for winter, right? and you go, "Why? Look like at this with like all the layers on. Get all your layers on, because this is a stressful holiday. And This is the holiday for which Jesus gets one of his titles. Scarf everything you can and get out the door. Good holiday." Now in the story is something of importance that gets fails to get mentioned here. And that is that it is the only plague that involved Israel. Go through and read the other plagues, and you'll find that the other ones affected the Egyptians. The frogs were found in their houses. The flies affected them. Their cattle died. It was always the other People it never affected the Israelites. Bloody water, all the stuff affected them. And it comes down to this one. And God says, okay, you guys need to pay attention to this one. This is going to possibly affect you. How easy would it have been? To think that this doesn't apply to you. You're a Jew. You're back then. And you've watched all these things happen to other people and it hasn't touched you. And God says, this one's gonna. I'll get through it. This doesn't affect me. It hasn't yet. Right? We get injured. We have so much stuff happen because we assume that the rules won't apply. Well, so many. right like, oh, now, it's never bothered me before, until it does. How easy would it have been for them to assume? I don't need to put blood on the door. So I want to talk now about the lamp, because we've talked about the Passover. I want to focus on the Lamb a little bit. Um, we read a couple of verses. Exodus twelve, five and 6, it says, Your Lamb will be without spot and blemish, a male, a year old. You'll take it from the sheep of the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill their lamb at twilight. So, uh, around 6-ish. Or so. That's important. So, so we have a couple of things. Now, what's really important though in this is that it's, it's flawless. It is flawless. No defects. In this. And we know the symbolism. Right? And killed at twilight. That's, that's going to be significant. We have another scripture here. It says, Exodus 12.46. It says, you shall, it shall be eaten in one house. You will not take any of the flesh outside the house and you will not break any of its bones. Eat what you can. It's here. Then leave. Just leave your house. Just leave the dirty dishes. Right? Go on vacation. You're on vacation and you just leave the dirty dishes. We'll let them take care of it. They'll clean up after you. You just go. But the bones weren't broken. That's also important. So we need to talk about Christ, the Lamb. We're still learning about the Passover. We're going to make it real to us in just a second. Now we go to John 19. Since it was a day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other who had been crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They didn't break his blood. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once out came blood and water. And he has saw this has borne witness, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may also believe. Well, when we come to this holiday, it's often complained that we talk a little bit too much about blood. And that's kind of an interesting thing about Christ. when we talk about gruesome things, Christ gets placed in a different category. You think about this. If if you had a, a relative, and maybe you have, so I don't know if you have or not, but if you had a relative who died violently, he was shot, would you wear a gun around your neck? Would you wear a knife to commemorate them? Would you, would you, would you put knives and guns on your wall to remember? I'm not saying we shouldn't do this, but, but think of what the cross represents. That we remember the implement of the death and God uses the implement of the death it's not that this is wrong that we shouldn't but we wear crosses and we put oh so nice decorated shiny gold and silver and they're beautiful and we ornament things and we put them on our buildings we have them probably many of you have them in your houses we put them on the front of books death sentence of a criminal. And we commemorate this. And we think about this and we use it in our songs and we we, we we speak about it. We write sermons about it. Christ has made something gruesome and awful, something acceptable and a part of a society. He's completely changed the image of the cross. You don't even think about what a cross was. We're going to talk a little bit about what a cross was. I want to refer to a, a magazine article. It's yep. got wonderful pictures in it if you, you like those. It's a doctor who analyzed the things written in the crucifixion, in the story of the crucifixion. Uh, and And wrote and submitted an article to the Journal of American Medical Association. We, we, so many people talk about stuff that, that uh, well, it, it's a story, it's a fairy tale. I want you to point out, uh, point out to you that, that John wrote this. John is a fisherman. And, and, if, and, and, and the others were fishermen. Luke, a physician, was not who, A, wasn't there. He's just writing down what other people wrote or, or told him. As a physician, probably wouldn't even be as qualified as today's first responder. I mean, let's just be frank about that. So when we read the details, we can, if I made up a medical story, a doctor would tear it apart. Would just like rip it and shred it and say, well, this would never happen if I tried to submit medical details. We have fishermen writing a story and a doctor has looked at these things and this is full of words that I'm going to Butcher, I don't even know what they mean and points out that these are accurate portrayals of medical conditions. So let's begin. I won't read the whole thing. I would suggest you. It's pretty interesting, even in the parts you don't understand. Some of the skepticism in accepting John's description has arisen in the difficulty in explaining with medical accuracy the flow of both blood and water. Part of this difficulty has been based on the assumption that the blood came first because it appears first blood and water flowed. But he said the Greek order of words were structured different. They denoted prominence. So if something was more, they would denote the thing that was more, not necessarily the thing that was first. So it's not representative of a time sequence. Therefore, it seems likely that John was emphasizing the amount of blood rather than the appearance coming before the water. This is important. This is therefore the water probably represented. <clears throat> bear with me. Serous pleural and pericardial fluid. Okay. It would have preceded the flow of blood and then smaller than the volume of blood, perhaps in the setting of hypovenia and impending acute heart failure. Plural and pericardial effusions have been developed and would have been added to the volume of the apparent water. The blood, in contrast, may have originated from the right atrium or the right ventricle, or perhaps from a hemopericardium. John didn't come up with that. John, watching this thing, didn't go, you know, I think this was probably from a heropumericardium thing. The next paragraph... I don't even recognize any words. Okay, Th- this is this is incredible stuff. This is accurate. This happened. This wasn't made up. Christ is our Passover. And we're going to talk about what that means. A fisherman writing this didn't create this. This is an observation of a person just recognizing that something is happening, wrote it down, and someone later can actually write a medical... 2,000 years later, someone can write a medical document based on someone's observations. That's impressive. This is real. Are we going to go today? There we go. Mark fifteen forty three. 43, this is interesting also, and he makes note of this. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. Why would Pilate be surprised? When we read the story of Jesus' crucifixion, I don't think I'd make it through half of it. I'd be pretty much gone. I think. But I would be wrong. Because there was in the history of man no better torturer than a Roman centurion. None better. They could keep you that close to death for days. When they... We, when we, when we put people to death, not that it happens that often, but when we do capital punishment, we make it sure it's nice and painless. We even, we even rub with alcohol the spot where we're going to live, put the lethal injection in, which makes no sense to me. That's bizarre. They wanted to make sure that you were going to suffer for your crime as much as humanly possible and show everybody about it as a deterrent. And they could keep you alive for days, as we see. He had to break the bones of the, the other two. And they get to Christ and he's already dead. Christ was in immense, incredible physical condition. The man hiked up mountainside. The man walked. It would be like walking from here to Madison. Teaching over terrain that makes this look like the flatlands of Kansas. He was in good condition and died. That's going to be important. What makes a man die. Let's continue. Jesus' death after only three to six hours on the cross surprised even Pontius Pilate. The fact that Jesus cried out in a loud voice and then bowed his head and died suggests the possibility of a catastrophic terminal event. Here we go. One popular explanation has been that Jesus died of cardiac rupture. In the setting of scourging and crucifixions with associated hypovolemia, hypoxemia, and perhaps altered coagulable state. All this is stuff that he's talked about previously. Freeable, non-invective thrombotic vegetations could have formed on the aortic or mitral valve. Then these could have dislodged and embolized into the coronary circulation. I, I'm not going to go on. You get the picture. Let me make it easier. We talk about this water and blood. And he has analyzed and explained where this comes from. Just a moment. It comes from heart failure. As the water separates. Jesus was dead. The idea that Jesus wasn't dead is a myth. This is uh, uh, a clear indication. It's a medical indication of it. Jesus was dead. Died of a broken heart. If you want to say it a different way. What causes a man in that great physical condition to die so quickly? Tightened stress. something going on beyond merely the physical. He died of a broken heart. So we want to know the Passover, not just know about him, not just know about medical facts and these are very interesting, but I want to do more than know about words that I will never use again in my life. The word shall is important because in the directions in Exodus chapter 12, this word appears 43 times in 48 verses. That's important. If you think that God doesn't have a specific way, He likes things, shall, you shall. It shall. They shall. shall? Not. Good idea. Maybe you would like to. You shall. In relationships, as we talk about knowing the Passover, knowing Christ, one of the problems in relationships is assumptions. Now, a lot of times the assumptions that we have are based on Things that we have in our relationships inform somebody that might have not been entirely accurate and they trust us. Yesterday we were at men's breakfast and Guy was talking about when they first got married saying that he could eat eggs every morning. And Amy blushed. She assumed that he told her the truth. Found out he couldn't. (laughs) I could, ah, but we assume things. Well, sometimes we assume things in a relationship because we've become so familiar. We just think they'll do this. They'll, uh, they will. It'll be okay if, right? I will just assume it'll be okay with my wife if problems coming. I'll bet he's assumption. Right? Goes the other way. We make assumptions in our relationships all the time and it just causes problems. So I want to look at an amazing verse. We talked about what would, how easy would it have been for these people to go, it'll be okay. God won't mind if I don't do this. That seems really bloody. That's kind of gruesome. I don't really care about doing this. This is an interesting verse. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And this is is a key thing. All the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth about 600,000 men. So this would be the men 20 years and older, not including the women and children. That's about three and a half million people based on their lifespan and reproduction rate. All. Now, maybe this is hyperbole. Maybe it wasn't all. But whatever this means, it means that either the vast majority or every single person of these did what they were told that you shall do. You can't get ten people to do everything you want. I've got four kids. It's like you leave somewhere. trying. To, we were out at a guy's house a couple weeks ago. And trying to get him rounded up to get to the car. it has got this one. Stay there. You get this one. Where'd he go? Four people. I can't manage four people. Six. Hundred thousand men and men there, women and children, did what they were supposed to do. Do you know how amazing that is? That just boggles my mind. They did not assume, based on past events, that God would be okay if they didn't. They all accepted the existence of a death angel. Oh, sure. There's gonna be a death angel. They all accepted the need for a Passover lamb. They all accepted it. How would my faith stack up? Do we all assume because we're in the building, we're okay? Hey, I'm in the right building. I'm in the right side of town. I'm in the right place. God will be okay with me. No, you need a Passover lamb. God likes the people here. Things are going okay for me. I just assume. I'm in the right building. Beyond that, don't need much. You need a Passover land. And we're going to conclude with one thought. Because we sing it all the time. So I just want to ask the question, does grace amaze me? Am I still amazed by grace? When we read the story of of Christ's medical condition, does that amaze me? When I read the history of people who were affected by God, does it amaze me? Our text draws, we go way back to Corinthians, and he says, Purge out the old lump, because Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Am I still amazed... It requires a moral response. There are expectations. God has expectations of me beyond eat a meal, beyond sing a song, beyond get in your car on Sunday morning and go to a church building. There are expectations of me. You shall. Do not assume that because you are in a church building you are under the blood. The building has nothing to do with it unless the Passover has been applied to it. Christ's blood was shed. Are you amazed by this grace? Does it impress you what has done for you? If it does impress you, then apply it to your own life. It's done individually. It had to be done individually. They had to, three million strong, respond individually. No group rate. Does His grace amaze you this morning? We're going to close.